0: Faith is the victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. First John, five four. Faith pleases God. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how you increase your faith in the word of God. Faith is the victory. We'll sing all four verses. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers, rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in vales below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory. victory faith is the victory oh glorious victory that overcomes the world his banner over us is love our sword the word of God we tread the road the saints above with shafts of triumph shod by faith they like a whirlwind's breath swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is the victory, faith is the victory, oh glorious victory. on every hand the foe we find drawn up in dread array the tents of ease be left behind and onward to the fray salvation's hell victory faith is the victory oh glorious victory that overcomes the world to him that overcomes the foe white raiment shall be given before the angel he shall know his name confessed in heaven then onward from the heels of light our hearts with love aflame will vanquish all the host of night in Jesus' conquering name Faith is the victory Faith is the victory oh glorious victory that overcomes. Amen, I like that song. How many does not know that song? A few, okay. Did you like it? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Amen. It's got a lot of great truths in it. And I kind of like the rhythm of it. It's kind of military type rhythm. So uh, I like that. He hideth my soul, hymn number 611. 611. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. It's quiz time now. Who who was he? Who was he? The Bible tells us someone was hid in the cleft of the rock. You win a million dollars if you answer this question. Go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Moses, right? Am I right or wrong? You asked it. <laughs> it's my answer's right. <laughs> Moses. He shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Psalm 27, 5. Amen. He hideth my soul. All four verses. (laughs) A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, that shadows a dry, thirsty, covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand a wonderful savior is jesus my lord he taketh my burden. that shadows a dry thirsty land he hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand with numberless blessings each month sing in my rapture O glory to God for such a redeemer as mine Amen to that He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry thirsty land He hideth my life in the dead of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand when clothed in his brightness transported i rise to meet him in clouds of the sky His perfect salvation, His wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. Amen. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. Song too. Amen. If you're able, you may be seated. <laughs> you need that. That's good. Huh? That's
1: good. If you're able, be seated. Amen. <laughs> well, I we got some Bible scholars out there. I heard you all shout out Moses. Now, now let's do for uh, some more JL's money he's gonna give away tonight. He's already given away a million dollars tonight. He's gonna give away a, a million and a quarter. Not, not a, a quarter of a million, but a, a, just a quarter. Uh, does anybody know the chapter in which Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock? Oh, there we go. That's, pretty, that's worth a nickel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Exodus 33. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, especially dealing with the life of Moses. Moses goes to the Lord. This is after the big failure of the dance around the golden calf. He goes to the Lord. He's been angry. He's going through every emotion possible. He comes to the Lord and earlier on in the chapter, he, goes, he says, Lord, I don't want to go to the promised land unless you're going to be with us there and on the way. If you're not there, it's not worth it. Let us just sit where we're at. I'd rather just stay in the wilderness if you're not going to be there. And God says, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Now that was good. And then Moses said, well, that's nice, but I want some more. And Moses then says, Lord, show me thy glory. Now thy glory, he's asking the Lord, show me all that you are. Moses can't handle that. You and I can't handle that. If any man were to see in his human flesh all of the glory of God, you want to know what happened to him? He'd poof. I don't know if poof is the technical theological term, but here's the way he'd put it. He'd croak. He, did. he would die. He could not handle it. No man has seen God and lived. Right? <clears throat> That's right. That's right. That's right. But so Moses, he says he can't see. God tells Moses, he says, You can't see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. This is why Jesus does come. Jesus comes as the Emmanuel, God with us, veiled in flesh. Right? So that we can see God. And now, here's then what happens God tells him. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by Me. That's good enough right there. But he says, Thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while My glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with My hand while I pass by. There's a reason why what we sing matters. right? What we sing should come from the Scriptures. What we sing should be biblical principles. They should be biblical themes. It should be pointing to Christ. And it's a wonderful truth that we have tonight that we can sing about the Lord who delivers us and allows us to know Him, to see Him, and though we might see Him veiled, there's coming a day, as we sung this morning, that one day we shall see Him face to face. I can't understand all the glory that that will be, and we can debate about whether you're going to see the Father or just see the Son. I know this, I'm going to see the Lord. I I don't know what all that's going to mean, but I know when we see him, it's going to be all right. And that, that's going to be worth it. So tonight, before I end up preaching in Exodus, <laughs> take your Bible, turn to Psalm 18. That's right. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Moses could have went on about his day, but he's the one that asked for the Lord to show himself. There you go. Yes, sir. That's good. That's good. Well, Psalm 18, tonight's going to go a little bit with this and everything that we've sung tonight and throughout the day, really. I hope tonight is is going to be a, a blessing to you and a help to you. Tonight, I want to read Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6. We've already covered verses 1 through 3. That's the good stuff that everybody thinks about with Psalm 18. But there's beyond verse number 3, there's another... 47 verses to cover, right? Now, we're not going to cover those tonight, of course, but it, it gets these different variates, uh, variations and, and degrees of different things and topics that, that David is praying here in this. So I want to read verses 1-6 through six to help us out because that covers what we've covered already and gets us into where we're going to be at tonight. But tonight we'll be in verses 4-6. through six. He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, right? Think about that. The rock of Christ, He hides me in the rock. All these beautiful pictures that, that Christ is for us. He says, My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord. And that's going to be an important theme. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And here we go. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. Now that takes a different sort of tone, doesn't it? But he says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple and my cry came before Him even into His ears. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You this night. We just want to thank You and praise You, God, that we can sing. Lord, we could come to you, Lord, that we can we can trust that you hear our prayers, Lord. You heard the songs tonight, Lord. You didn't care so much how pretty it sounded, Lord. You just cared that we lifted up our hearts and our voices unto you by faith that we sing to you, that we praise you, glorify you, God. You are worthy to be praised, Lord. So help us tonight, like David, just to tell you that we love you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. We pray that tonight that you would meet with us, that you would give us what we need from from your word, that you would uh, have it applied to our heart by faith. Through the power of your Holy Spirit in our life, God, that we would be dependent upon you, that we would cry out unto you tonight, Lord, whatever our need might be, and rest assured, Lord, that you were there uh, to hasten and to answer our prayer, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Now as we look back at this psalm, Lord, uh, just to give a a quick little review, up to this point, David has been going through all sorts of troubles and trials. We're going to see, and we'll flip over to it here in a little bit, 2 Samuel chapter 22, the entire chapter there of 2 Samuel 22 is essentially this psalm, nearly verbatim, that is Uh, not just similar, but this is the prayer uh, recorded. This is a a prayer, a song unto God. This is a time when David had been delivered from his enemies, and he's, I believe, looking back at all that God has delivered him from, and he's recounting how the Lord delivered him uh, and and his own emotions through these things, uh, his own thoughts and his own response through it all. Uh, David is one who is, throughout all the Psalms, not just one who is always on a on a spiritual high. As a matter of fact, we forget that the Psalms are over half of them lament. They're difficult words and prayers. Many of the Psalms, even uh, like Miss Ann sang this morning, such a beautiful song this morning that she sang. How long, O Lord? How long? And so we've seen this already in the Psalms. Matter of fact, I, I just happened to look down. The Lord, Lord, just took it right there. Psalm 13 starts off, How long would thou forget me, O Lord? that's David's prayer. How long are you going to forget about me, God? Anybody ever felt like that? Right? How long would thou hide thy face from me? But then at the end of Psalm 13, he says, but I've trusted thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I'll sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. So what we see all throughout the Psalms, you and I, if we were just to read David's Psalms here, we would think this guy is crazy. One minute he's, He's fine and he's praising the Lord. The next minute he's, oh, this is terrible. Life is awful. God forgot about me. He's hiding himself from me. What am I supposed to do? Death's coming. My Enemies hate me. Everybody hates me. I don't even like me. But I cried unto the Lord. But he sounds an awful lot like you and me, don't he? Except I would say that David's a whole lot more faithful in going to the Lord. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Now, in verses 1 through 3, we found all these different terms and things that David says, the Lord is my this. Right? Strength. Rock, Fortress, Deliverer, God, Strength, Whom I Will Trust, Buckler, Horn of My Salvation, High Tower, right? All these different things, many of them which had military sort of terms. Now David was a military man. He knew battle. He knew war. He knew uh, what it meant to shed blood. He knew what it meant to fight. And that first song that we sang tonight is such a, a wonderful call to arms for the, for the church today uh, to essentially, as we sang literally the Armor of God passage, but all these things that we are to have on in the battle we're not to run from the battle. David knew uh, that he did not often flee from a battle. and we'll see a little bit tonight that there were times in his life where he was fleeing for his life, but much of his life was a fight, not just a physical fight, but a spiritual fight. We've got to understand this, that those of us who know Christ tonight, the very moment you trusted Jesus, you immediately began a warfare. Now, you didn't know that. How many of y'all knew that when the, you walked down the aisle and, and you got down into the altar with the preacher that? you were getting saved, that you were getting drafted into an army, that there was going to be a battle for the rest of your life. He didn't talk about that stuff, did he? Right? No, no, you feel like you got gypped. He didn't tell you nothing. Wasn't on the back of no track. Wasn't in the Gideon Bible. Didn't tell you anything about that, that, that warfare. But you learn about it pretty quickly, don't you? That, that war comes to you. You don't have to look too hard to find it. But the issue is whether we choose to fight in it or not. Now I can tell you this, if we choose not to fight, you've still made the choice, but you've made the wrong choice. You're not going to make any spiritual progress moving backwards, getting pushed around by the enemy. Now David knows this. He knows it's time to take a stand. He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. He knows that the only way to be delivered from his enemies is to be dependent upon the Lord Himself. David knows what it means to lead men into battle. He knows what it means to have uh, hands that are fit for war, But even in the Psalms, David says, Lord, teach my hands to war. He says, even though I've had all this experience, God, I need you to fight this battle. I need you to prepare my, my mind, my heart, my body for the battle at hand. Now, in this room tonight, it don't matter if there's a couple dozen or a couple thousand. There's a couple dozen or a couple thousand. How many is in here tonight? That, that is how many battles are going on at least. You've got that many spiritual battles. You've at least got one spiritual battle in your life right now. It might be just against the sin. It might be against the whole thing. It, but everything feels as if it's coming against you right now. You might feel that way tonight. I want to encourage you through this passage here. First of all, I would remind you of verses 1-3. through three. Begin to pray verses 1-3. through three. Don't merely read it. Pray it to the Lord. Trust by faith. Lord, You are my strength. Lord, You are my rock. Lord, You are my fortress. My deliverer. My God. My strength. Lord, I will trust You. You're my buckler. The horn of my salvation. My high tower. Lord, I'll call upon You. You're worthy to be praised. And Lord, I know You'll deliver me from my enemies. You say, well, what if He doesn't? What if I die? Well, then that's deliverance for the Christian, isn't it? To be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. The worst thing that could ever happen to a Christian is that we die and go to heaven. That is the ultimate deliverance. That's the deliverance we're longing for anyways. Now, Let's get into verses 4 through 6 tonight. Starts in verses 4 and 5, and we're going to see two things tonight. Verses 4 and 5, we're going to see the problems. He's got some big old problems. But then, verse 6, we're going to see the prayer. Every problem you've got should be matched with a prayer. Every problem you have, no matter how great or how small, can easily be overwhelmed and overpowered by prayer. We've got to understand this that our problems are not nearly as big as the God that we pray to. And I would say this as well tonight, that our problems, whether physical, financial, spiritual, mental, emotional, your neighbor, whoever it is, or whatever it is, it's not as big nor as powerful as prayer. And David knows this, and you and I must as well. All of us tonight have a a theological understanding of prayer, but we need theology and practice. We know to pray. We even know how to pray. We don't need like the disciples, Lord, teach me to pray. We know how to pray. The issue is we need to simply do it. Now, you won't know to do something like praying or reading until you just start praying and you start reading. I have people ask me all the time, Pastor, how, should, how do I pray more? Well, step one, pray more. Step two, when you've prayed more, continue to pray, right? We should be praying and praying and praying. If you find something in your life that is too small to pray about, then you think that God is too small to care about that problem. If you think you've found something in your life that is too big to pray about, well, then you think once more that God is too small for you to pray about it and it just can't be done. We have got to pray with faith and understanding and a trust in the Lord, giving everything to Him. Because everything that we don't give to the Lord, we're trying to handle on our own. And I can tell you this, the other day, I could not even handle putting cut-up chicken in a frying pan. Thank you, Miss Cammie. (laughs) Good to know you're alive back there. I dropped every piece of that cut-up chicken. And y'all know how expensive chicken is. It's more expensive than eggs. I dropped every piece on the floor. Then she's got to hog-tie the dog. I got to scoop up chicken. I got to clean up the mess. Then I got to grab my wallet my keys. And I was already wearing just throwaway clothes, just, just round the house clothes, and I was wearing bright yellow Crocs. If you, see, if you drive by my front yard, that's what you'll probably see me wearing. Bright yellow Crocs. That's your preacher. You go, yeah, yeah, that's my pastor right there. I take myself up the food line, but before I take myself up the food line, my screen door closes on my back heel. It's still scabbed over. I thought bad thoughts. I was angry, I was mad, I was frustrated, everything else. Nothing was going right. I just spilled all this chicken. I, now i got a cut on my back heel. I go up the food line. I come back. I thought I had some problems. And you know something? Not one time from the time that I dropped the chicken to the time I got back with more chicken that I was praying I wouldn't drop, did I ever pray and ask the Lord for strength or for help? Not one time did I ask Him for forgiveness? Not one time? And you know what? My problems seemed to mount more and more and more. And by the time I got home, my biggest problem was not the chicken that had gotten dropped on the floor, nor was it my bleeding heel. It was me. I had become my biggest problem. Now, David knows all too well what this looks like in his life. But David's problems are awful big. Look at verse 4 and 5. The sorrows of death compassed me. He's literally saying, I'm I'm surrounded by it. It's overwhelming. He says, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The idea here, first of all, is that death is looming. You say, well, isn't David a, a saved man, trusting the Lord? Oh, he is. And yet, the problems of this life and that moment have overwhelmed his mind and his heart. The moment your mind becomes overwhelmed with the things of this world, your heart will easily fall. And once our mind and our heart fall to this, being overwhelmed by everything around us, is that our mind has failed to look to the eternal things and to see Christ upon the throne. Our heart has failed to trust that Christ is still yet on the throne, and that everything one day will be okay. That even if the worst case scenario every day happened to you, it would still be you would still be more blessed than than you ever deserved. God would still be more uh, good and gracious than we ever deserve see, the issue is that we get overwhelmed. And throughout the life of David, there had been threats against his life from foreign enemies and even down to his own household coming against him. You ever felt like that? Everybody's out to get you. I thought, I thought just the other night the cutting board was out to get me. The screen door, I forgot the other part. It attacked me on the way out. And when I got back home, it attacked me again. That time I didn't leave any marks though. I thought, my goodness, everything is out to get me. And then the parking lot at Food Line was full. I thought, well, everybody's out to get me again. I bet when I walk in here, there won't even be an ounce of chicken in this place. I'm going to have to go get some canned chicken and have what we're doing. And and Miss Cammy's just not going to be satisfied with that. We're going to be in trouble. I thought, thought, what a mess, right? What a mess. David's got some real problems. David is overwhelmed by his problems. I want you to know it is your human nature to be overwhelmed by problems. It is your fleshly nature that is overwhelmed by the things of the world. We become bogged down with the world and here's what happens. We let the water of the world get into our boat and then it doesn't matter how smooth of sailing it is. If water gets in the boat, we're drowning. It's not good. It don't matter how sturdy of a boat. If too much water gets in, we're in trouble. And David feels this sorrows of death can pass me. Now you and I might be looking at David going, well, what in the world's your problem? Two minutes ago you said the Lord's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength. He's my salvation, my high tower. All these things. Why in the world would we be thinking that David is going through this struggle? Because David is much like you and me that we struggle with all of these things. He says, the sorrows of death can pass from the floods of God even may be afraid. I want to look for just a moment at four different spots in David's life that he went through, but you and I have gone through all four of these as well. In David's life, you and I often think of the first thing about David is probably his failures. We'll get into that in a minute. I believe that's the last thing that was on the mind of God. Even after his failures, God said he's still a man after my own heart. Even after all those things, God still says this. But the first thing that we ought to think of with David truly, I believe, is faith. David trusts the Lord. He starts off the psalm, I will love thee, O Lord. If you don't have faith and saving faith at that, you're not going to be able to say to God that you love him. You love him because he first loved you. But until we have put our faith and trust in his love, we'll never be able to say to the Lord that we love him. You can say it all day long through religion, through works, but it will be nothing but lip service. A heart that does not have faith does not truly love the Lord. He trusted God from his early age. He was used of God as a shepherd, a brother, a warrior, before raising him up to be king. He was a man after God's own heart. And God made a covenant with David. You know what it's called? The Davidic covenant. And it's a great one. Here, God promises to David that though you might not be able to build my temple, because of the things that have happened in your life. Nevertheless, David, it will be through your lineage that the temple one will be built. So praise God for that. That's good. But two, and even greater, through your lineage, the Savior will come. And He will be a greater King than you or your Son ever could be. He will be the One who will rule and reign forever and forever. He will be the Messiah that I've promised of old. Now, you don't get any better than that. Others can build a temple. That's a great thing. But to have that promise from God, that's even greater. David trusted the Lord. As a matter of fact, we find even in the early stages of David's life with the battles that he faced, he talks about this to Goliath, to his brothers, to to King Saul. And he says, why would we not trust the Lord? Who is this Philistine? Who is this Who is this sinful dog who comes against us? Who comes against the Lord our God? We'll trust the Lord. Battle belongs to Him. We're just going to give it to Him. We're We're going to slay Him today. Why would God not deliver us? He's one man. We serve God. Is God not greater than Goliath? The second thing that we find in David's life is that he had a fight. Not just one fight, but it seems as if his life was one long fight. A battle that never ceased. Now notice this. The moment you have faith, you enter into that fight, don't you? That fight won't end until you leave this world behind. This is why when Paul's life and ministry is coming to an end, he writes to Timothy and says, I've fought a good fight. I've run my race. And it's over. He goes, it's your turn. He goes, my, my fight's done. Now, when we see all throughout the Scripture this idea of spiritual warfare, we find that there is this continual wrestling There's continual running and fighting and and perpetual warfare until the day we leave this world behind. Now, here's what often happens. The average Christian today wants to merely survive the war and not really win it. But here's the thing. We've already been given victory in the war. And so we need to live and fight out of victory. Put on the armor of which God has provided and given to you and go win the day. Go fight the good fight of faith. Now, the only way to do that, as we are seeing throughout the Scripture, is to live as David did, to live a life of faith. The only way that I'm comfortable enough going into the battle is I'm able by faith to say, the Lord is my strength, my Lord, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, my buckler, my horn of my salvation, my high tower. When I can say all that by faith, then I can enter into the fight. David fought off wild beasts that came against his flock. He fought Goliath fought many of the enemies of Israel. He even had to fight enemies from within. Even at times, the armies of Saul that came against him. Even at times, those in his own household that came against him. What a terrible thing. This just goes to show us that whether from within or without, there is always a fight to fight. Now, either we are fighting the good fight or the, the fight is going to come to us and it's going to whoop us. Some of us have been whooped so long that we forget that we're called to fight. That The church, I believe Adrian Rogers put it this, uh, this way, and I don't remember the exact quote, but he talked about that that the church is not a, a cruise ship. but The church is a, it's a battleship. right? We're not meant for comfort. We're meant for the battle. We're meant to, to be led of the Lord and to go into the fray of the battle. We just sang it earlier, and most of us are singing either one because we've never heard the song. We're kind of mumbling along. But if you read those words, you think about this. There is something... Two, this idea that there is a constant fight. Now, how many of you would say tonight that you want to win the fight of faith? Of course we would. Easiest way is one, you need faith in the Lord and not yourself, and two, you need to fight by faith and not your flesh. As a matter of fact, by faith, you need to fight your flesh. David had to do the same in his life. There was a third point in David's life. A different time in his life as well. It's one that you and I have gone through. You and I know what it means to have faith. We know what it means to fight. But sometimes we just ain't got no fight in us. You ever been there? Just ain't got no fight no more? Now That that season doesn't always last, but this was a season in David's life where he had to flee. He had to run. And running he did. He ran. He hid. Much like Moses, he hid under the rock. He was hidden by the hand of the Lord. At times, he had to flee for his life from Saul and others who would rise up against his rightful rule over Israel. Now, here's the thing. You and I, there's some times that we've got to stand and we've got to fight. There's some hills worth dying on. There's some places that we ought to fight. There's some times for fighting. There's also some times where you and I got to flee. Even Paul tells Timothy, flee these youthful lusts. Flee sin. Run from it. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The idea is, like Joseph, even if you've got to run away naked, you run away. If sin is there and the fight is so hard, run, flee. Now David had points in his life where he would stand and fight, but there were times even in David's life when he's on the run, fleeing from Saul, and he has an opportunity to get back in the fight, and you know what he does? He doesn't. He'd wake up, or rather Saul might wake up, and go, what in the world? Is that you, David? Yeah, that was me. The Lord delivered you. I spared you. The Lord spared Saul. And David would say, I'm not going against God's man. David could have fought right there. Matter of fact, David could have taken vengeance. David could have done all those things. And truth be told, probably been in the right in doing so. He had the rightful heir at that point. They said, no, I'm not going against God's man. It's time. I'll flee. God will take care of this. There are some times in your life where you've got to fight. There's other times in your life you've got to flee. Fleeing does not mean that we're failing. You can fight and fail. But there's another portion of his life as well. Even darker than the difficult days of fighting and the dark and difficult days of fleeing from his enemies. And that was David's own failures. You and I could think of many of David's failures. Matter of fact, we often do. We hear messages about them. We give pop quizzes about them. right? Tonight, I could give away more of J.L.'s millions of dollars that he's offering up. And, and I could ask you guys about the sins in David's life. Some of you guys could probably just make up sins if you thought you were really going to get some of his money. I probably would too. I could think of three or four. But though his sins were many, the mercy and grace of God was much more than his sins ever could amount to. I wanted to give you this quotation by a writer who talks about all these different failures, but he doesn't just talk about the failures, but he talks about the consequences of these failures. Every sin has a consequence whether immediate or not. We've got to understand this. Sin does not just have a consequence immediately. And what here's the mistake that we make, even as saved people, is that we sin against the Lord and we don't get, you know, struck down by lightning. And so we go, well, you must be okay then. Well, you might not get hit by lightning, but rest assured there are consequences. There are consequences that you might not even see that day. You might not even see them that week. You might not even see them that month, but rest assured, in your life, what we sow, we will reap. Here, this author, he writes, the account of David's positive dramatic rise pivots with the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. Through the prophet Nathan, God rebuked David and showed that he valued character more than competence. David's humble response led God to promise forgiveness. However, God also promised continual trouble In David's own family, there's nothing that's as troublesome as trouble with family. There's nothing as troublesome in the house of God than trouble with other believers. These things aren't good. They're devastating. They're debilitating. But God also promised continual trouble in David's own family. These troubles dominated the remainder of his reign. David's eldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar, David failed to take action. Tamar's brother Absalom killed Amnon in retribution and fled north to Gesher, the neighboring kingdom from which his mother had come. David again failed to take action after Joab rebuked David through a wise woman. David recalled his son but refused to meet with him until again prompted by Joab. David's failures and inability to take proper action within his family contributed to greater problems within the kingdom. His son Absalom rebelled. Many of the psalms that we've gone through already deal with that rebellion that difficult time in David's life. David survived the attempted coup, but Absalom did not. Other troubles followed, including rebellion by a relative of Saul. In a final error, David ordered a census of the Israelite men uh, available for military service, showing a, a trust in their own hand. And this brought on God's judgment and David saw thousands of his subjects die in a plague. David ended this disaster by buying property that became the site of the temple. He had a lot of failures, didn't he? And there's more in between there. He had a great deal of consequences. And David's sin not only affected him, it affected his family, but because of who David was, it affected the whole kingdom, didn't it? It affected the whole nation. Could you imagine this? If every time you sinned, something bad happened to America? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Now, imagine this. What if what if you started understanding or thinking this way that your sin would affect your spouse or your children or your grandchildren? Might change the way we think a little bit. Even if it just affected those inside of our, our home. Well, what if we thought about our sin affecting our church? You say, well, whew, thank God it doesn't. But it does. It absolutely does. As you go, goes your home. As your home, goes us. As us, goes our community. All the way down the line. Now praise the Lord though, because through all of David's failures, God still used him. God kept His Word. God kept His promise and His covenant with David. And even, and I love this, what was included, even with the consequence of David then having to buy the land It was the land for the temple. Though David could not build the temple, he was responsible for getting the provisions for it. God uses people's failures. He teaches us to trust Him and He works it out for our good and for His glory even if our good is to be chastened a little. God is always at work even through our, our ups and our downs regardless of the part of our life that we're in. God is at work and we can trust in that tonight. Now there's the source of our problems, and even David as well, the world, the flesh and the devil, as first John tells us the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. You can look at David's failures and all of those were contributing factors, weren't they? but you can look at your own failures and my failures and you can contribute the same exact thing to those as well. here's the thing about David: David created many of his own problems, did he not? Here's the thing about us. We create the vast majority of our own problems. But David here in this psalm says the sorrows of death are everywhere. They can pass me. Floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Sorrows of hell, the idea of the grave itself can pass me about. The snares of death prevented me. Meaning everything is overwhelming me like a flood. Prospect of death and discouragement and despair. All of the evil men that I know, including my own family, has come against me. Everybody's against me. Even my own flesh is against me. And by the way, it is. David had felt as though death had a grip and trapping him so that he could not escape. Do you ever feel so overwhelmed by this world? Do you ever feel so overwhelmed by your problems? Do you ever feel so overwhelmed by even your own sinfulness? If you do, join the club with David. The sin and sinful men throughout David's life, he had battles with his own sin, with the sinful men around him who had sought his death and demise. David feels as if the waves of despair and desperation are over his head. And we get a better picture of this in 2 Samuel 22. I want to read this for us. 2 Samuel 22, this parallel passage. He says, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer; the God of my rock in him will I trust. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And He did hear my voice out of His temple, and my cry did enter into His ears. Our problem with our problems is normally not our problem. It's normally not the problem itself that's the greatest problem. As big as the problems in your life seem, that's normally not the greatest problem that you have in your life. The greatest problem that we have is how we respond to those problems. We must respond by prayer. By trusting and depending upon the Lord. By calling unto Him. Notice in 2 Samuel, what does David do? These are after the victories. After this has been given. And yet he talks about how all of this has brought him to that despair, that time in his life where he just felt so overwhelmed by everything. And he says, in my distress, called upon the Lord. He doesn't say, in my distress, I kept on fighting or I kept on fleeing or I kept trying to figure out a problem or I gathered up all my wise men and tried to figure this thing out. He says, I called upon the Lord. Our greatest problem is that we respond incorrectly to our struggles in life. Perhaps that is our biggest problem is that we don't know how to deal with problems. But the only way to deal with anything, whether it's a problem... Or a high point of our life and everything else in between is simply by prayer. Now let's look at verse 6 tonight. We've seen the problems of verses 4 and 5, and now we must see the prayer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. This is no just soft spoken prayer. This is no simple, Lord, I sure could use some help. This is a desperation. This is everything in David that is so overwhelmed now goes to the Lord because he knows that as overwhelmed as he is, he can never overwhelm the Lord. God has never one time been overwhelmed. God has never one time been overworked. God has never been one time so stretched out in the universe with His hands taking care of everything that this world and universe has to offer that He's gone, Look, I'm going to need you guys to hold up the prayers for about five, six minutes. I just need a quick break. Never one time. He is the God who never slumbers or sleeps or grows weary. He is always there to hear His children pray. The answer to trouble is to trust in the Lord. Old Teddy sang this last Sunday night. Pray my way out of trouble. Right, Teddy? That's a good song. Why? Because here David... I don't don't think that song was around for David, but you know what? David knew that when when trouble comes, I must pray. When good times come, I must pray. I must pray, I must pray, I must pray. And you and I have got to understand this. That when we don't pray, what we are saying is that we can handle it. Now, I believe that one of our greatest issues with praying is this. It's not so much that you and I think that God... We go theologically, God can. He's God after all. The issue is not that we think that God can't, the issue is that we think that we can. The issue is that we think that we are bigger than what we are. The issue with our prayer life is that we think that we're stronger than what we are. The issue with our prayer life is that we think that we are more mighty, more spiritual, more powerful, more mature, more advanced, more sanctified I want you to know the more sanctified that you are in this life, the more that you will pray. If you want to find someone who's godly, find somebody who prays. You want to know someone who knows the Lord and is godly and is growing in a sanctified walk with the Lord? Find someone who is in utter dependence of God alone for every need of every day. Until we find our great need, we'll never find a need to pray. And David knows who God is and therefore he trusts Him. We find this in Psalm 1 through eighteen, one through 3 He knows who God is, but the fact that we know who God is, that should not drive us to just this sort of theological idea where we go, okay, well, you know, this is who God is, so maybe He can. It should go to God all the more going, because this is who God is, I will trust Him. I will go to Him. I will call upon Him in my distress. I will cry unto my God because He is all these things. F.B. Meyer puts it this way, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We should have prayer in every circumstance. Prayer should be like breathing for the Christian. It should be the most natural thing that there is. No one in this room tonight is having to tell your body out loud, verbally, or even inside your mind or conscience, okay, in, out. In. Anybody having to do that? No. Why? Because your body naturally knows to breathe. As a matter of fact, what causes problems is when your body stops breathing on its own, right? You've got to zap it back in and remind hey, keep going. Here we've got to understand that praying to the Lord, communicating with the Lord our God should be the most natural thing for us. But when prayer becomes unnatural to us, it's because there's become something between us and the Lord. There's become something in between that now hinders us, and it's nothing that God put there, but rather it's our overwhelmness. I know that's not a word. We made it up. It's a real word now. We we have all of our problems and all of our sinfulness, all of our failures, all of our opinions, all of our strength, all of our virtue, all of our might, all of our knowledge that we've built up throughout years, and now that becomes a big old problem that hinders us between us and the Lord. Prayer can knock it down. The problem with prayer is that we don't pray through our problems. David prayed through his problems. Paul prayed through his problems. All throughout the Bible, we find people that prayed through things. Not merely about things. You and I pray for deliverance, but we need not merely pray for deliverance. I'm not saying not to pray that tonight. I like to be delivered from a lot of things. However, we need to learn to pray through the circumstance, through the trial, through the suffering, through the Saul's and the Absalom's who come against us, who hate our guts. We need to pray through our sin that tells us that we can't go to God. Perhaps that's one of our biggest challenges. I know it's one of mine. You sin in the morning or sometime in the day, and you say, well, now I just can't pray anymore. I'll have to start all over tomorrow. The greatest thing that you can do is immediately go to the Lord. Not run away from Him, but go back to the only One that can help you in the first place. Now, David instinctively continues to call and cry out to God. In verse 3, he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So in verse 3, he's already determined, I will call upon God when it, at all times because He's worthy for me to go to Him, and then I will be delivered. Notice this, it seems that the more that we pray, the quicker deliverance comes. Not necessarily because the problem goes away instantaneously, but rather through prayer in the midst of suffering and trials, God gives a strength that is not our own. God gives all that is needed. As a matter of fact, what we find is that you and I tend to forget that God is our strength and rock and fortress and deliverer and the one that we should trust and our buckler and the horn of our salvation high tower. We tend to forget those things. But as we pray, then we can claim those things that God says that He is. We can have them applied by faith to our heart. And now, even though your deliverance Might not even be in this lifetime, or even after finishing a prayer, or even a year from now, or however long it might be, we can rest assured that God provides and enables everything that is needed in our life to press on. David knew this, and you and I must know this. There will be no perseverance without prayer. You'll quit without prayer. And the easiest way you'll quit without prayer is because you'll quit praying. It's easy to quit praying when you've already quit praying. It's easy to quit when the problems and the trials of life come, when you no longer are going to the Lord for everything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. How's the hymn go? Oh, what peace we often forfeit, right? Why? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, David doesn't pray empty. But rather, he prays, filled with faith, trusting that God hears, cares and will come to his aid, as we've talked about. because God hears, and because God knows us, He cares. I would tell you this tonight that God cares much more about your problem in your life than even you do. You might be the one affected by it, but God cares. God knows. His thoughts are many. How many's many? It's a lot innumerable to think. We think about us and we think about our problems an awful lot, but I can tell you this, the Lord does as well. And He cares. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And notice what David says. He might hear. He'll wait and hear. No, he says, when I call, when I cry, He heard. The tense changes. He's like, Saying now, he's already heard me. He's already heard my prayer. He says, he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Now, notice this. This is is what's so special. Was David a priest? No. David started off as a shepherd boy, didn't he? David eventually became a king. But even as a king, you know what he couldn't do? Operate as a priest. Now, what did the priests do? They went to God on behalf of the people. They did priestly work. Where do the priests work? Where's their office? It's at the temple, isn't it? Now, this is important. David here is resting and trusting of what Moses had talked about in Exodus. God said that what is being given here as a tabernacle or a temple on this earth is just an earthly picture of the heavenly. David's no fancy theological priest, but he knows how to go to God. As a matter of fact, he's got a better access than the priests do in the temple. The priests in the temple have to go by blood, by sacrifice, by offering. They have to cleanse themselves and clothe themselves over and over and over again. And David says, I got you one better. When I call and cry to God, he hears in his temple, and notice he says, even into his ears. David is not just going to a priest and saying, Hey, I need you to pray for this for me. He's not just dumping or throwing something on an altar. He's in the ear of God. Prayer does that. Prayer is not merely just this sort of tossing up things to some heavenly temple that you and I can't see. It's getting the ear of our Heavenly Father that cares much more for us than we could ever imagine. Now, there's something sweet about a little kid and their father. I love watching the little kids around here run around and, and, and find their dad. Now, I love uh, It happens oftentimes with, with uh, the Hicks boys will come out of the nursery and if Carissa's in the nursery with them that day, the, the first thing that I'll notice is this. Those boys, they come toddling out of there, running out of there, Right? you know what they do? Where's dad? They come, they find him, and no matter what dad's doing, and I see this, and you've seen this throughout your life, what happens? Dad might be having a conversation, he might be going through, uh, talking to somebody, he might be fiddling with his guitar, or, or guitaring with his guitar. I guess you can't fiddle with a guitar, can you? Hey. And what happens? Little Ronnie will pull, that dad or Freddie. You know what happens? Yes, son. And it don't matter if I'm talking to Tony or somebody else talking to Tony. That moment, you know who's important? That little boy. You and I have got to understand that prayer is getting the ear of our Heavenly Father. And not one time when we go to the Lord is He going to go, not now, I'm busy. God is never so busy that He cannot hear or handle your prayers. The issue is that you and I think that we're too busy to pray. God's never too busy to hear us. He's never too busy to answer us. Are we too busy to go to Him? David remembered to pray to the Lord in his distress, but this was not a a prayer characteristic of so many prayers. Made only at the moment of great need, David knew how to pray in times of both prosperity and adversity. Prayer was a spiritual response to any situation. As you read the Psalms, this is what you find. Whether it was a good time or a bad time or an in-between time, David cried unto the Lord, Do you and I view God as just some sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card? We shouldn't. We should view Him now, those of us who are in Christ, as our Heavenly Father, who we now have His access to His ear any moment, any time, any day, any need. Even just. And I love this prayer that David has here in this psalm. How does he start the psalm? In the ear of his Lord. I will love Thee, O Lord. Is there anything sweeter than that? To be able to go to your heavenly Father and to let Him know, I love you. We need some of those prayers, don't we? Lord, I love you. God, you've been good. Lord, you're faithful. David begins by praying in the ear of his God Lord, I love You. I will love You. It's a choice. It's an effort. It's a decision. I will love You. I will continue to love You. I will tell You that I love You. I will continue to tell You that I love You. I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. David knows the power of prayer. Praying gives legs to faith. Obedience gives legs to prayer. We must have prayerful obedience all of which must be lived like David by faith. One commentator put it this way, this same poor man cried and the cries at Jehovah's activity in motion. The deliverance of a single soul may seem a small thing, but if the single soul has prayed, it is no longer small, for God's good name is involved. What a thought that is about our prayer life. God cares because it's His name and His character because we now belong to Him. Now united with Christ. What a heavenly position. When we find ourselves in times of distress, depression, despair, we must find ourselves in a place of utter dependence by faith and the faithfulness of God. What you and I need more of in our prayer life is desperation and dependence. What we need more of in our daily Christian life in general is desperation for the Lord and dependence upon the Lord. Alistair Begg said this, prayer is an acknowledgement that our need of God's help is not partial, but total. You and I, and we're all guilty of this, let's be honest with ourselves tonight, we often pray uh, prayers of partiality. Lord, I just need a little bit of Your strength. Lord, I need You to be a little bit of my rock. Lord, I need You to be a little bit of a fortress. Lord, I need You to be a little bit... I just need God You to take care of the rest. It's like this. Go grocery shopping and us men, as stubborn and hardhead as we are, what do we do? Do we want to make multiple trips into the house or do we want to grab it all at one time? We grab it all at one time as much as we can. The only thing we might do is we might leave our, our, our dear, sweet, feeble wives in our minds. We'll leave them the lightest bag and we're carrying everything like this. Oh yeah, see see what kind of a man you got right here. We're carrying it all in there. We're struggling. We're huffing and we're puffing. You know what, sweetheart? Would you, would you grab that bag? That'll that'll just take care. That'll just please me. Oh yeah, that's great. Thank you. You and I pray, going God, I, not to bother you so much, but I, I've got all this. But if you could just grab that last bag for me, that would that'd be a big help. God can take the whole load. God can take care of it all. There's nothing wrong with going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm I'm pooped. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I've got no strength. To be utterly, completely dependent. God, I don't need a little bit of Your help. I need all of Your help. That's what we need more of in our life. God delights in our dependence of Him. Because in our dependence upon Him, He's able to work things for our good and to display His glory. And as God works in our life, what naturally happens is not only that He displays His glory, but that He receives the glory every time we go to Him and say, Lord, I can't. But You can. Lord, I don't need just some of Your help. Lord, I need all of Your help. Tonight, even right now, you've got something in your life that you've asked the Lord for some help on. Now when are you going to get rid of your pride and ask Him for all the help? What in your life do you continue to do day by day and struggle with? Even the littlest and the smallest of things like your job or your relationships or whatever it might be. How long do you keep wanting God to partially help you? Ask the Lord for all the help. and He's there to give all the help that we need. Let the Lord be who He says He is. Our strength. Notice, David doesn't say, God, you're some of my strength. But you are my strength. Without God, David has no strength. David has no shield, fortress, buckler, horn. He's got nothing. Without the Lord, you and I got nothing either. We'd be bankrupt. So tonight, may we draw ourselves back that in the midst of every problem we've got, that we would find the solution in one thing and one thing only. Prayers of faith and total dependence to the God who is able not only to help us halfway, partially, or most of the way, but trusting and asking for Him to help all the way, at all times, and in all things. Because in so doing, we find out how weak we are, but how strong He is. We find out how much we desperately Need to depend upon the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. As David prayed, help us, O Lord, to love You. Lord, You've been so good, so kind, so gracious to each one of us. And God, I pray that tonight that You would help us that no matter what problems we have in our life, God, that we would see the answer is to prayer, to pray, to, to come to You and depend upon You, to trust You with everything. And God, we've so stubbornly and pridefully just sought Your help for a little bit of things or just a little bit of Your strength and for us to take care of the rest. And God, I know how guilty I am of it. Help us, O Lord, to come completely dependent upon You and Lord, to allow You to give us all that You desire. Lord, You're good and You're faithful and God, You are capable of much more than what we give You credit for. And Lord, we are much more incapable than what we tell ourselves we are. So Lord, help us now tonight as we leave from this place to cry unto You. And God, that we would trust You with every step of our day, every problem that we face. Every moment of our life that we give each thing to you by prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.